0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, advancing women's equality and representation in American politics and in the field of contemporary art.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, November 15th, The Washington Post brought together current and newly elected lawmakers, top political strategists and experts to evaluate the midterm election results for female candidates, discuss differences in party performance and look ahead to how women will help shape the policy agenda of the Trump administration, the 116th Congress and in state capitals across the country. In this segment, Washington Post politics and accountability anchor Libby Casey moderates a discussion with five newly elected female members of the Democratic freshman class. The representative elects reflect on the races they ran in 2018 and the challenges of campaigning and serving in office as women. They also outline legislative priorities, including potential plans to use subpoena power to probe the Trump administration.
2: is Libby Casey. I'm the politics and accountability anchor here for The Washington Post. And we're so fortunate tonight to have this great group of newly elected Democratic Congresswomen with us this evening. Thank you to all of you for being here.
0: Uh, Thank you for having us.
2: They apparently need virtually no introduction, but let's just go down the line and uh, and remind everyone who we have here. Starting at the end over there, we have representative-elect Veronica Escobar from Texas, representative-elect Chrissy Houlihan from Pennsylvania, representative-elect Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, representative-elect Jennifer Wexton from Virginia, and finally representative-elect Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. It must feel so good to hear that. <laughs> Very surreal. Um, <laughs> I I do want to let you know that we also reached out to every newly elected Republican Congresswoman, but due to caucus meetings, none were able to attend this evening, but we do look forward to continuing this conversation with GOP members next year as the 116th Congress swings into full gear. So, let's begin. Uh, I think we all want to hear how this week has been for you all, but first, let's see if we can make a little bit of news, because welcome to Washington. This is what we do here. Let's talk about Leader Pelosi and and your support for her and i know that some of you have talked about how the only people interested in hearing about this on the campaign trail were the media but now you're in washington and it's not just reporters who want to know the answer to this question so um are you sure about that <laughs> well <laughs> I, I i think i think leader pelosi would like to know True. <laughs> and some other people who are potentially interested in leadership would also like to know so let's just go down the line and say do you plan to support leader pelosi for speaker
1: i do
3: So I'm an engineer and I'm a terribly analytical person. And I'm kind of waiting to see what my choices are and what the platforms are that each person is running on. And right now that appears to be one person. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm working to understand the platform and the Changes that are pr- being proposed and presented, and I will make my decision when I need to.
2: You sound like you're still running for office.
3: <laughs> very politically I think savvy. it's a very important decision. I think it's one of the more important decisions that we all make. But it's like every other vote that I will be making, which is it needs to, a deliberative thought process, and, right. and it needs to be you know done carefully. Okay.
4: That's right. Very nice. So right now, I serve in leadership in the Minnesota House as the Assistant Minority Leader, and when I ran, I, I made the pitch to, to, to what it meant to fit into uh, a leadership group, um, and so I'm doing the same right now, looking at every single person who's running for leadership position and trying to think about what my best team would look like to help us accomplish the agenda we all ran on.
2: Okay.
4: Congressman Aleta Wexton?
5: I will be supporting Leader Pelosi for speaker.
0: Okay. I'm uh, uncommitted, and... Um, uh, like some of my previous sisters said I'm deliberate as well but I think you know something that I've said throughout the end of the campaign and it still rings true is that I would not hire a principal for a school if I didn't have a clear values or mission statement I want evidence that we have taken into account the lessons learned from the 2018 elections I think we have a mandate from the electorate to be aspirational and to be bold And we have not yet, uh, to my satisfaction, done a postmortem and an audit in that way. Um, Given the historic nature of this class, um, I think that we cannot operate with business as usual. And so I'm looking to see uh, whoever puts themselves forward, and I'll meet with them, um, how do they plan to be bold and aspirational um, and to honor this mandate uh, from the electorate.
2: We've only got a couple of weeks till you take your initial vote in the Democratic caucus on November 28th. So the clock is ticking. We heard from Congressman Marsha Fudge that um, people have come to her and talked about um, putting her name in the hat. How important is it to have a woman in that position, uh, especially after this dynamic year of the woman? Mm. Would it be a big mistake for Democrats to not have a woman Speaker of the House?
1: I think we need a woman, uh, honestly. I mean, we have a misogynist in the White House, someone who actually works against women's issues, uh, someone who, who has demonstrated very little respect for women. And I, I think it's important to have a woman at the top.
3: I believe, as, as you were mentioning, and also as Ayana was mentioning, that it is an organizational challenge to sort of fit the puzzle pieces together and to make sure that the team that you're collecting is a representation of the people, all of the people with all the, of the diversity that they represent. Gender is definitely important, but other diversities are important as well. And so it's a, it's a holistic decision for me.
2: Do you want to see some new faces in leadership in and that, in that leadership chain, regardless of, of where they fit in?
0: Um, I certainly do. That's why I'm vigorously supporting um, Congresswoman uh, Barbara Lee from California for Democratic Caucus Chair. Um, you know, I hope to get to a point where we no longer have these firsts, uh, where we realize leadership parity um, across the board. But um, we have never had a um, woman of color uh, in a leadership role, and I think we're certainly long overdue. And um, I just uh, admire her strength of conviction and. Appreciate uh, her service and finally on this topic in
2: particular, you know uh, Leader Pelosi at her press conference today was talking about how many ads were targeted against her by Republicans even in um, You know it, putting Democrats a lot on the defense of Nancy Pelosi, you know you this person if they if you choose them and elect them. They'll be the Nancy Pelosi in Washington <laughs> I know some of you dealt with that in, in debates and such do Republicans succeed? in their mission of vilifying her if she does not become the next Speaker of the House?
4: I mean, what I think the Republicans do really well is try to um, make us believe their, their message and have us kind of always be on the defense. And so I, I, I don't want us to, to be in a position where we're making a decision um, that, that's about rejecting them. Uh, we, we should make a decision about what the direction of the nation should be. Um, Like Ayana said, we need to be aspirational. We have to think about the opportunities we have in in restoring hope and optimism and kind of being really bold and progressive. And and I think it is really important um, for us when we are thinking about electing leaders that it is about electing leaders that serve us well, um, that are going to bat for uh Americans and leaders that are going to hold this uh administration accountable so you're starting to have those conversations now we certainly are yeah.
5: and and i would just add that it's unlikely that republicans would spend tens of millions of dollars atta- attacking uh leader pelosi she if she were not effective,
0: effective and good at her job
5: exactly right <laughs> yeah.
0: but, well that's true and i would also just add you know i'm not um, you know we're in no way like the current occupant of the white house who often presents things with a zero sum game, I think it is very possible to acknowledge Um, What Leader Pelosi uh, has contributed, the role that she's played in these elections, the role that she played with the ACA, and to acknowledge that many of the attacks against her have been sexist. Um, I can acknowledge all of that and still say I look forward to having a conversation and better understanding her vision for this Congress and for the country. When I ran in the general election, I ran unopposed, but I still campaigned. I felt I still had an onus to make my case uh, to the electorate, so...
3: And I would, I would mention that you talk, had a little clip from Kirsten Cinema, which is that I believe largely the negative campaigning and particularly Nancy Pelosi uh, attack ads, at least in my community, which is 50/50 Republican and Democrat, <laughs> really fell flat. You know, really didn't resonate with people. I think people are tired of the vitriol, they're tired of the divisiveness, they're tired of the kind of business as usual politics. And I think that's why a lot of us are sitting on the stage
4: today. That's right. yeah. I mean I, I, I would add too, right now, you know, there there is a there is a campaign um, that that is anti Pelosi and it's not for Something. Mm. And so for all of us, we didn't run against something, we ran towards something. That's right. We ran for hope, we ran for change. And and I think that's where we're rooting this conversation in. We want to see what is possible for all of us. Um, we might not individually want to be part of, of that leadership. But what we know is that we are leaders, we are elected to lead. And in part of leading, we need to make sure that we're bringing everyone along um, and and keeping their hopes and aspirations alive.
1: And and I think that frankly, the sooner (coughs) that, that we can get past this question, the sooner then we can focus on the issues that are critical to our districts and, and the issues that are critical to the country. You know, like um, criminal justice reform, dealing with climate change and a deteriorating planet, finally tackling comprehensive immigration reform, shoring up health care, making sure every American has health care. The things that each one of us heard on the doorstep as we were knocking on doors or as we were at forums. I mean, I don't I don't know that i I got more than a dozen questions about the Speaker of the House. Five That's in right. two years. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Five questions yeah. in two years. We got
4: more questions here.
1: Than yeah. You <laughs>
2: spent <laughs> more time talking with me about it yeah. tonight. Than, yeah. um, well, you make a, a really fair point that the sooner this process moves on, the sooner you can move to the next agenda items. As we talk about your agenda, how do you balance stopping the Trump agenda, the Republican agenda, also perhaps conducting investigations into what's gone on already in the last couple of years versus some of those aspirational goals. Um, Where where is that balance point? I I know I've heard some of you say we can try to do both, but two years goes by so fast and there will obviously be tough gridlock faced when you try to get legislation over to the Senate, the Republican-led Senate. So how does that balance work out? Yeah, I mean,
4: so I would say uh, the balance for me has been always thinking about this this work that we have to do in, in leading the resistance, but also in insisting on a set of values. And I think that there is an opportunity for us to have oversight. Um, to take this administration to task, but also remember that we have work to do on climate change, that we need to have uh, reform on our immigration system, that we have um, an an opportunity to to maybe even work with this administration on getting an infrastructure bill, um, expand our our democracy. So both of those things can happen because we are people who recognize that it is important to fight Um, but it's also important uh, to bring people along and get things done.
0: Let me be clear. The country is polarized not because... Of differing ideologies and ideas. The country is polarized because of the flames of hate that have been fanned and emboldened by the current occupant in the White House. That's what has polarized this country. I think ultimately, if you look at an issue like gun violence, that is suburban, urban, rural, that is transcendent and deeply resonant uh, in every district and for every community. Um, Infrastructure, um, uh, childcare, transportation, um, all of these things are, are, are you know, relevant uh, to every community. And I'm, what I'm looking for is that in that first bill that we put out, uh, in addition to voting rights and ethics reform and campaign finance reform, which are all things that will restore people's hope in the faith of de- in, in in our democracy, but that we are considering something like when we'll put a gun bill forward, mm-hmm. that we are being bold and aspirational because I think we're at a point now. People live in intersectionality. I mean, that's become this buzzword, but I think for a long time we allowed elected officials to just talk about constituencies via a single issue. The fact that you support marriage equality is not the whole sum of the LGBTQIA community. The fact that you support reproductive justice and freedom is not the full sum of women. Uh, The fact that you support comprehensive and compassionate immigration reform is not the full sum of experience um, for for immigrants. And I could go on. People don't live in big checked boxes. They live in intersectionality and in nuance, and we need to legislate in that way. Mm. You know... um,
1: what, what I heard consistently on the campaign trail is that uh, my community is ready for, for governance. They're ready okay. for a Congress uh-huh. that will govern, but that does include accountability. It really, truly does. But when I served in local government, we had some very significant struggles in, in, in regards to public trust. And so we had to initiate some sweeping reforms in order to build that trust, but at the same time, we were able to invest, we were able to create really good projects and 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 help shape the future of the community. If, if a community can do that in local governance, Surely, with, with talent and with dedication, and, and that exists in the Congress, we can get that done. But I think one of the things that people are, 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 are hoping for, something that folks are hoping for, is that we will get things done. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if we expect to take the White House in 2020, we have to be able to show that we could deliver. But that also means on delivering accountability um, and, and, and making sure that, that we don't have lawlessness at the top.
2: Well, someone in leadership has some advice for you, Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, reflecting on the investigations of Bill Clinton, of President Clinton, uh, back in the day, said that he was making, recently said, a historical observation that the Republicans' investigations of Clinton improved the president's approval rating, it actually tanked Republicans. And so he said that Democrats in the House will have to decide just how much presidential harassment they think is a good strategy.
1: <laughs> I, I think there's a huge difference right. between what right. Bill Clinton was accused <laughs> of and what
0: Donald Trump is being accused of. Obstruction of justice. Judiciary Committee is going to be yeah. doing a lot of work. Yeah. Thanks for that subpoena and we, investigative we, reach and power. We
4: certainly have uh, someone in the White House who's made a mess of our democracy, and we are bringing heavy brooms to clean it up. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's what I <laughs> I will say too much. And I think, you know, we, w- the, the, the one thing statistically that's very different about, about women in leadership is that, one, they produce more. Sorry about the men. And, and that we are <laughs> consensus builders. And so what, what I know to be true and what we are all aspiring to, to affirm is that the people sent us here to collectively work together to accomplish... Um, and an agenda for the American people that is prosperous, that hope, hope, restores hope in our democracy, um, that gives people an opportunity to look forward to um, what, what is next. And so um, we, we are up for the task, right, ladies?
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I got into this race for a bunch of different reasons, but largely personal. You know, my, my daughter's LGBTQ, she's queer. Uh, my dad's a survivor of the Holocaust. I don't recognize my nation and the democracy right now. I'm very, very worried about our current administration and and the president. But we are now roughly halfway through our conversation. And what I learned through the two years of the campaign trail is, yes, that's very, very alarming. And it is very, very worrisome. But what was clear from talking to constituents is we are a broken government. We're not legislating. And so we need to make sure that we're we're controlling the conversation as Democrats, and that means that we have to be legislating. Uh, and of course, it's a yes. check against our administration, yeah. but we really need to deliver. We yeah. need to li- deliver on issues.
2: How far are you all in figuring out what committees you'll serve on <laughs> and, and where your voices will, uh, will be most effective?
3: <laughs> well,
5: that's, that's still ongoing. I, mean, I know that that will be coming up in a while, but you know, I, I am happy to serve wherever I can do the most good for the people of my district and the people of this country.
2: Mm-hmm. It must be an exciting moment to look at the committee, see what their goals are, talk to the uh, people who will be expected to be the committee chairs, get a sense of how you could fit in into their, into their conversation.
0: Sure, but I don't think the totality of our contribution or the demonstration of our leadership will be limited to our committees. I mean, certainly, our committees will take up the lion's share of our time, but we all intend to legislate. And I want to say this one of the reasons I ran um, is because the issue of gun violence, specifically, which is an issue of consequence um, in uh, the Massachusetts 7th, um, disproportionately, is that after the Virginia Tech shooting, a number of the advocates that I work with in coalition had approached Democrats and said, Will you push for a gun control bill? And they said, No, because there isn't an appetite for it. And that's what has to end. You know, I think we create the appetite. And I want to legislate. And uh, continue to put forward things, and you know they may not pass the, you know the, the second, third until the fourth, you know time. But we have to c- put things out. So I don't define our leadership just by the committees that we'll serve on. We've got the bully pulpit, we've got our respective caucuses, um, you know values-based and issues-based caucuses uh, that we can join as well. And and then we intend to uh, to write legislation too. Mm.
1: I received some great advice, actually a group of us from one of our veteran female uh, legislators who told us the story, we were having a delegation meeting and she told us the story about the committees that she wanted right from the get-go and she really had her heart set on them, ended up on different committees and she said she discovered Incredible new avenues for leadership through committees she didn't even want, and the advice that she gave those of us in the room was: "Look, you're you're going to have you have great skill, you have great talent. Every committee you serve on is going to be a good committee, and it's ultimately going to be what you make of it." And I'll tell you, that gave me tremendous peace. Mm. I, it made much. me think about um, how the the avenues that that we will use in a different way that, you know, even if we don't get exactly what our heart is set on, that our community will benefit mm-hmm. in some way based on how, what we make of, of the committee assignment.
3: Well, and there I mean, is also, there is a really cool yeah. sisterhood that's developed yeah. well before the results came in, where I think even if we don't end up on the committee you'd like to be on, that you definitely have channels to be able to talk to people who are young and fresh-faced and fresh-legged <laughs> uh, to be able to make a difference. And I, and I think that you're right. We're freshmen. We, get our, we probably don't get a whole lot of choice. Uh, but we're going to do our best to make <laughs> but it. But I death. also
0: want to say that, you know, uh, I don't want to speak for my, my sisters here, but I would venture to guess they feel similarly. That This is not just about, you know, how we lead. This is about how we create space for others to lead and the new voices that we engaged, and I'm very encouraged and emboldened by the citizen activists. I mean, all of us expanded our electorates. In our race alone, 54% of our primary voters, that was the first time they ever voted in a primary. Um, The Latino vote grew 71%. The student vote uh, by Boston University grew by 400%. So, you know, I see those folks as being sort of cooperatively governing with me, and I want to make sure that the new voices that we've engaged, the hope that we've given or that we've restored, that we keep that and we continue to govern with them. It's easy when you're here to make everything about navigating the Hill, Mm -hmm. but there is still work in in community and in coalition to be done with our districts. I have a great question that's
2: come in from Twitter that, that really touches on this. A young woman who identifies herself as a student of color currently attending Ohio State asks, I've only been recently engaged in the political field, and I have a strong interest in running for office. What advice would you give?
3: me do it <laughs> actually in all sincerity uh, sincerity when it became evident that my race might end up going favorably it became a mandate of mine to make sure that we were as a campaign elevating everyone else every other woman that we possibly could within our reach to make sure that they made it across the finish line too um, and it's really really important that we do that but we've been to the year of the woman before it was in 1992 and it just cannot be another year of the cicada when the cicadas sort of come up and then they disappear um, i'm really really worried that this is an aberration and that we need to make it a permanent thing so i would advocate for this young woman to run
1: you know, the, the other thing that she could do and that she should do, it's something that I did, and it really helped me feel comfortable being a candidate. I volunteered for candidates who inspired me. And I I got involved in campaigns, and I learned how to canvas. I learned how to phone bank and then later wrote checks. And I, I had to be convinced to run for local office uh, when I finally did. But by the time I did, I had 10 years of being in campaigns as a as a volunteer and so the day that i announced i felt so confident because i knew what i was doing Mm -hmm. and so i i agree with chrissy run do it we need you and even if you lose try it again Mm -hmm. but a really great way to get involved is support Women or men who inspire you and and make you feel hopeful, and even if they don't win their race, keep volunteering. We need you. We need that energy. Representative Elect Wexton, did you have
5: something to say? Well, for me, my path to elected office was through public service. So I, so my my advice has always been to follow what you're passionate about, and then that'll lead you where you where you end up where you should be. Um, And that certainly was the case for me because I wanted to be a prosecutor and then I wanted to be an advocate for kids. And then I stepped up because I saw injustice and I stepped up in electoral
4: capacity and it has led me to this point. Some of you so talked about. Oh, I ahead. was going to no, sure. say, um, Veronica's story is, is, is the story of, of many women. You, many, most women have to be asked mm-hmm. to run for office. Um, statistically, it takes women seven times to be asked before they say yes. Uh, and so, to the young woman, we are all asking you <laughs> One, two, right. Five. to run for <laughs> office. Wait a minute, though,
0: but you didn't tell the most important part of that statistic. Right. Would anyone here venture to guess how many it takes to convince a man? <laughs> Zero. Himself. Himself. <laughs> and that's actually Zero. a data Zero. point. Ayana, it's his mirror. <laughs> Those are the facts, supported by the Lee Family Foundation. I want to give a shout out <laughs> to the Lee Family Foundation and Higher Heights for America and Emerge, Mas- Emerge uh, America and Vote Run Lead and so many other organizations uh, that are doing that. But I would say this is probably unpopular. I don't personally think that everyone should run. I'm not of that thinking. I think the problem is that we've created this public narrative that there are only two ways with which to civically engage, to vote and to run for office. Now, I was an aide for 16 years, four years to a member of Congress, 11 to a United States Senator, and then I went on to serve on the city council for eight years. Uh, And that was the path that I chose. But if I had never run, I found great uh, joy, uh, meaning, and reward in being the person behind the person. People really underestimate the power of AIDS. They're the ones whispering in the ears of those legislators. They're the ones twisting their arms. They're the ones enlightening them because they're closer, you know, to the ground. Um, And I do, this last thing I would say is that, you know, to your point about the cicadas, I'm very uncomfortable with this narrative of this woman's wave or uh, a brown girl magic, a black girl magic wave, a blue wave. If there is a wave, it's not one we're riding, it's one we created. You know, victory isn't magic, it's work. And I think these narratives where you tell people that it's either a fluke and an, an anomaly or a trend and a wave, it, everyone raises their hand and says they want to run because they think it's as simple as that. This is a lot of sweat equity. This is leadership <laughs> choices. This is a strength of conviction. So this is not for everyone, but expose yourself to everything. I do agree with that. Now, with
3: that being said, I've spent my whole career being the behind-the-scenes person. I've spent the better part of 30 years of adulthood being the operator and being the aide, effectively, the you know person behind the stage It took every ounce of my being to do what I did for the last two years to get out of bed and and off of Netflix and get my, you know, uncomfortable. So what I would say is if this person is inspired to do it, this person should should try it because I never in a million years would have thought that I would be on this stage. This was absolutely anti-type for me, but it was so important Uh, and we're in a time of crisis in our nation right now and we need everybody to do everything they can. um, Some of you have talked about the sisterhood that you've already been developing. You
2: are developing as I'm sure you were watching the returns come in for each other's mm-hmm. elections and, and since you've been together this week. Do you see ways to work with Republican women? Um, because that is something, especially in the Senate, that, that women have been able to do. Um, you know, go out on a, to events together, yeah, ha- have meetings together, caucus together, and spend time trying to find those that unity across party.
3: I think it's really important to be bipartisan, not just with women, but with men as well. Um, I'm a vet and uh, I've I'm part of another organization similar to the ones Ayanna was naming called With Honor, and it's an organization of veterans that are committed to working across the aisle, and I think that vets and women in particular have a reputation earned, I think, of being collaborators and team players. I'm absolutely committed that there are things that we can do, infrastructure, potentially even gun violence issues that can be worked across the aisle, and I think it's essential that we show the people that have brought us here that we have the ability to make differences and change
4: issues around child care yeah um you yeah. know mo- most of us uh are our mothers or um, represent communities where that's uh important so in the minnesota house um my my biggest allies for the first two bills that i introduced to uh, expand childcare access for uh, student parents um, in in universities were um, my Republican colleagues. We were in the minority and my bills wouldn't have gotten heard or passed as a freshman um, if I didn't if I didn't have them uh, rallying for it and and so it is it's important for us to recognize that we are here to serve our constituents, to serve the American people, and that there are things that we could work on together. Um, and, and as Ayana was saying, you know, we might be polarized around this uh, fanning of hate that um, we are not too polarized around uh, the critical issues that our communities are, are dealing with. I'm willing to bet that
5: most of those Republicans, or probably all of them, were not elected saying, I'm going to go there and I'm going to throw a wrench into the works and I'm going to mm-hmm. you know, dis- obstruct and say no and say no and uh, say no again. Um, so. Presumably Mm -hmm. they want to work across the aisle as well, and I came from, you know, Virginia's state government Mm -hmm. where I was in the minority during my entire tenure, so every single bill that I passed was with bipartisan support, and you do that by talking to people by by focusing on issues that help kids and families and are going to benefit
2: constituents, not just in your district, but throughout the country or throughout the state. Let me ask you a topic in the news right now. Uh, we've seen a lot of focus on Facebook and the power of the tech industry, the power of social media. Social media was so important in so many of your campaigns, mm-hmm. a way to um, get out your story, uh, reach people who uh, might not know about you or might not normally vote, and they were inspired to come out and vote. Do you see... That regulation of social media companies and tech will be a
1: key part of your agenda in these next two years? It has to be a part of the conversation because we have seen really good, new, exciting tools via social media used in a way that has been harmful to our democracy. And just like we regulate other things, you know, vehicles or other tools, other things, I do think we need to take a very long hard look at that and and think through how to do it. we We really have to protect our democracy. i've 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 never felt in my life like I do today that our democracy is at risk in, in a way that that just hasn't existed before. and social media has played a role in that. So I'm,
3: as I've mentioned, an engineer and I'm also, uh a veteran and one of the bigger reasons why i ran for national office v- versus state office having never run before was i really am worried about national security and these issues of, of privacy these issues of cybersecurity, and frankly biosecurity are the things that keep me up at night and so even though i don't get my choice of committees necessarily i'm really passionate about those issues and one of the reasons why i'm hopeful to get on some of those committees is to worry about legislating in these in these new territories and these new frontiers like facebook
2: uh, leave us with some thoughts about this week and how it's gone so far. What are what are we not seeing? What do we not know about about what your experience has been like? What surprised you?
0: Well, you know the best uh, plotting and planning still happens in the restroom. <laughs> My advice is eat,
3: eat when there's food available. Especially now.
0: Especially now. There's there's a line for that members yeah. only uh, women's women's restroom, but. Um, you know, yeah. You know the the
1: thing you you asked a question about bipartisanship. There's a lot of time spent keeping Democrats and Republicans separate at at orientation, and and maybe th- that's not going to happen in week number two. But I almost feel you know I was talking to a few folks like we've got to find a way to to get to know each other just as people, and to to try to um, limit the, the the amount of separation. I mean, obviously for pragmatic purposes, your caucus has to come together. But when you looked at that freshman photo, you know, the, the, uh, the freshman photo that you all saw us take, we, we haven't really had a chance to get to know a lot of the Republican members. Mm-hmm. And if we are really going to unify this country and work at finding areas of collaboration where on infrastructure, or criminal justice reform, or, or climate change, where, where we want to make positive change, we've got to have those relationships. And it surprised me that we didn't have that opportunity but I'm hopeful that the new folks will figure out a way to make Veronica's it
0: exactly right. I mean, the, the uh, we can't be we can't do good business until we are in a good relationship. And I know a lot of people have talked to me about the bipartisan workout. Uh, crew, (laughs) Um, and things like that. But I did want to just share something that has uh, been interesting. I do think we are ushering in a a paradigm shift, and everyone is going to have to adjust in a lot of ways. Um, You know, myself and several other uh, new members um, several times have been escorted to spouses' events um, because people assumed that um, our partners were the elected officials. So I think that... uh, (laughs) Uh, and that has happened repeatedly. Um, so I think you know it is a new day, and uh, people will catch up. <laughs> Can we get some
2: final thoughts from the rest of you about just how this week has gone and what your hopes are for the next week or so?
4: I mean, for for me, it's 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 really just kind of um, being reminded, right? What what an honor and a privilege it is to be here, and how you know, regardless of what part of the country we come from, what our platform was, what party we represent. We are um, part of a, a very privileged group of people who get entrusted to um, lead this country. And you know, in, in one of the freshman presentations, they talked about only you know, 12,000 people getting the opportunity to serve. Um, and there are you know, members who are historic figures yeah, who are Lewis. still serving. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I find myself extremely emotional. I mean, I ran into um, Congressman John Lewis mm-hmm. and I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, sir, I learned about you in middle school <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and, and the same goes for, um, you know, uh, leader Nancy Pelosi. Like they, these are people who we've learned about in, in the books. Maybe I'm aging myself. Um, and, and people who, you know, we've all, um, been glued to the TV, watching, um, movies about them. And and it is just uh, really amazing to be part of a group that is making history, um, to serve with historical figures as well, and you know. And I, I asked some of the members. I said, "When does it become normal to be <laughs> around him?" Um, and they said, "Well, he tries to make you know. He tries really hard to make you feel normal." But it is it's it's just knowing that it it's a great honor, it's a great privilege. There's a lot of weight that goes with. The responsibility that we have, and you know, we can we can play the silly games of partisanship, um, but but ultimately we have to do the work of of the people um, because that is that's the important part. We're
2: about out of time, but I wanted to give the other two of you a quick moment to say, Representative Elect Hulan do you have final thoughts?
4: Yeah,
3: I I had the opportunity. My parents retired to this community. My dad was Navy, but he also came here as a five-year-old Holocaust survivor. And uh, the last evening, two evenings ago, I had the chance to invite my parents to come with me to the Library of Congress dinner. Um, And my father, from a five-year-old refugee to a daughter who's serving in Congress, was just an overwhelming experience. And that's what, it's humbling. It's the beauty of our nation. It's the opportunity that we need to make sure that we preserve for everyone. I'm Representative-elect Wexton? I'm just
5: so humbled by the whole experience and the amazing colleagues I'm gonna have um, in the freshman class and, and beyond. Um, this is This is a part of history, and I'm really humbled and honored to be a part of it.
2: Well, thank you so much to all of you thank for being you. here tonight. Thank you to all of you. I'd like to just mention, um, you can sign up for our campaign and elections newsletter, The Trailer, to keep track of who's running in 2020, and also the goings-on along the trail and what are the ideas shaping our political party. Already, already. You can do that at WashingtonPost.com slash newsletters. And if you'd like to share conversations from this event tonight, you can go online to find us at WashingtonPostLive.com. Thank you so much for being a great audience tonight. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.